Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga means oneness, union, or unity, and it refers to bringing our attention, our awareness to rest in our essential, unbounded spiritual nature. And in this way, we are... Restored to wholeness, no longer caught up in in the ever-changing identity with body and mind. So yoga is known as self-realization, knowing our true nature, and then, of course, living in harmony with it. And in terms of living in harmony with our true nature, we have some wonderful tools today coming um, from the Tibetan tradition um, through the lens of Zen and yoga. Uh, Zuketsu Norman Fisher is back with us this week for a practical and inspiring conversation on practices for training the mind drawn from the Tibetan Buddhist teachings of Lojong. So we're going to learn what that is and um, how we could use these practices to open our hearts more, become more compassionate, um, really more awake and aware. Norman has taught at the San Francisco Zen Center for many years. He's presently a senior Dharma teacher there, as well as the founder and spiritual director of the Everyday Zen Foundation, an organization that's dedicated to adapting Zen Buddhist teachings to Western culture. Um, he's a prolific author. He's a poet. Many wonderful books of poetry, including a new one called The Strugglers that um, we heard about last week on this program. So you can check the archives for that. 
And uh, so he's interested in poetry, in Zen and Buddhist teachings, and um, looks to adapt Zen meditation and understanding to the world's a business law, conflict resolution, interreligious dialogue, care of the dying, the world of technology, and really anything else he can think of. His website is everydayzen.org. Welcome back, Norman. Thanks. Nice to be here. So before we dive into our conversation about compassion and really resilience, um, let's take a moment just for a short centering meditation. moment, we simply intend to open our hearts and our minds. We start with the assumption that there is one reality, it's called by many names, that is the source and the support of all that is. So right where we are, right in this moment, we begin to sense or to imagine or to feel that we are being held by this reality that is our life and the life of everyone. When we begin to have a sense of that, letting go of the tight grip of imagining we're separate, we can relax. So with your out breath, simply relax into imagining or feeling that you're being supported right now. How else could it be? And with your in-breath, feel that you are becoming more aware of this omnipresent support. And just notice breathing in, breathing out. Don't be concerned about thoughts that arise. Just notice them. Stay connected to your breath, coming back to the breath, being supported in this moment. And with that sense of connection and support, there is a feeling of peace that can arise within us, and this peace is always there. So let us take this moment to share that peace with all beings everywhere. And as we conclude, simply feel that you're sending forth peace 
peace to all beings. Today we have a great adventure of looking at Zen teachings on the practice of Lojong. And, the, and in this first segment of the program, we're going to find out what that, what that practice is. Um, for those uh, of us who are on, on a spiritual path of yoga or another a spiritual tradition, uh, listeners from, who are tuning in from unity and new thought, um, we might wonder about you know, what this practice is and how... How could it be useful to um, bring some of that into my own tradition? And, you know, one of the ways that I have seen over time as I, I have been very grounded in my practice of Kriya Yoga, but from time to time, um, there have been other things from other traditions, other practices that have come along just at the right time to kind of bring a spark of inspiration and freshness. And I find that they then help me um, really practice more deeply um, my own tradition. And Norman, you begin your book on this Tibetan practice of Lojong by including some thoughts about engaging in practices from traditions other than one's own. So let's let's start there. You know, what do you see as the benefit of that? And you know, what what is the also potential drawback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you know, when I this book having come out, and then uh, you might remember some years ago I did a book called Opening to You, uh, Zen-Inspired Translations of Psalms, where I, I translated from the Hebrew uh, the biblical, 93 of the biblical Psalms. And, and in both cases, I was really surprised uh, that I had the same reaction from people who know the Psalms really well, and also in that case, and in this case, from Tibetan Buddhist practitioners who know this text really well. And in both cases, people said, oh, this is really great. This gives me a fresh look. I've been studying this stuff for a long, long time. But now all of a sudden I'm seeing it differently because you're coming at it from a different angle because Mm -hmm. I'm not uh, an expert, you know, in those traditions. And I'm coming Mm -hmm. to the traditions uh, to some extent, you know, sympathetic and somewhat knowledgeable, but really from an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that I think that's the advantage of taking up um, something from another tradition. First of all, you, you can maybe potentially see it in a fresh way, see it in an innocent way. Uh, and also, that's from the perspective of someone in that tradition. And, but for yourself, um, you uh, have a big context for the practice, and you bring it into your context, and then it transforms it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, uh, as you were saying yourself a moment ago, um, sometimes when you're steeped in one tradition and you take in something from another tradition, it all of a sudden freshens you up and allows you in some ways to see your own tradition in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of great advantages to that. And, and of course, the disadvantage is the obvious one that that you might not, you might be missing a lot. In fact, you <laughs> probably are missing a lot. <laughs> so you can be kind of rest assured that you're missing a lot, and, and so you have to be humble about doing this. In other words, you can't. Mm-hmm. You got to understand that you're not. You're not an expert. And as always in, in religious literature, there's always a, a, a commentarial tradition, you know, written and oral. So uh, you know, a text that says one thing. 
if you're in the tradition, you'll know that it always means something slightly mm-hmm. different from what it seems to mean because all the teachers talk about it that way and all the commentators mm-hmm. have talked about it that way. And as, and as someone coming from the outside, you might not know that at all. Mm-hmm. So, so you probably will be missing a lot, of, a lot at the same time. So, you, you know, as with anything, you, you gain a lot and you, and you lose a lot too. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think um, for practitioners, you know, there's the, there's the big... Um, potential drawback, you know, of um, what would we call it, dabbling, you know, and yes, then, right, 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 you know, right, right. Not, not going deep enough and, you know, right. somehow feeling like we got it, <laughs> but we're really, right, right. you know, quite on the surface of things and, right. you know, um, staying grounded in a tradition you know, as you're very familiar in terms of your work with Zen over the years, you know, has us um, staying put, you know, in those places where we're uncomfortable with our own traditions. Mm-hmm. And um, right, right. so, right. you know, just just to take what, what, what looks enticing, you know, from other traditions right. and, and then try to easy. put together something we call spiritual <clears throat> practice right. out of that, you know, becomes... You know, it's too it's too shallow. So you know, yeah. then we have to find this balance with you know how do we allow ourselves to um, uh, you know not be, because if we just stay closed in in our own tradition and we can't be open to anything else, that's a mistake too. <laughs> so, exactly. exactly so, <laughs> so yeah. you know, how do we allow ourselves to open to uh, some of the richness that's mm-hmm. there? You know, without. Um, going too much on the surface of things. And, um, you know, I don't know that there's any magic answer for that. You know, it's mm-hmm. just um, watching, I guess, what happens to us in our own practice as we mm-hmm. as we reach out and, um, and look at other things and then kind of, you know, I would say something like bring them back home, you know, to the context. Mm-hmm. That's you know, right, that, yeah. You know, that, that we're yeah. working in. I often uh, say to people... Um, Especially nowadays, in our area, there are so many offerings of all <laughs> yes. kinds of traditions. It can be bewildering. And so I, I often say that I think the, the sort of ideal spiritual career would be to do some looking around at different traditions initially, because, you know, you want to see what's out there and what really interests you. And then, but then after that, yes, to make a commitment to one tradition because something happens when you make a commitment that doesn't happen when you're dabbling. Mm-hmm. So to make a commitment and be serious for, for a long, long time until you make that tradition your own and your life merges with it. And then, af- and then after that, when you're really steeped in a tradition, then to go back and take up, um, look at uh, teachings and teachers' uh, texts mm-hmm. from other traditions can be very renewing and refreshing, but probably... Uh, only after uh, that special quality to the to renewal uh, is only after a long time of committing to one practice. So I think this this doing something like this is good for both ends of the spectrum. People who are in the stages of beginning to look at various things, and then people who are committed to something and can benefit from the text. Yeah, thank you for reminding me about that. I, you know, um, Paramahansa Yogananda used to, when people would come to him to study, you know, who had made mm-hmm. the decision to connect to that path of Kriya Yoga, he would tell them, you know, not to read anything 
else besides you know his works mm-hmm. yeah, for a whole yeah. for a whole year, mm-hmm. and um, you know to really give them uh, an opportunity to get grounded, you know, and then right. it just exactly as you say, and then there's a time for going back. But tell us now, you know, what is uh, lojong? What is it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the word lojong I think means uh, mind training. And it's uh, almost a generic word for uh, uh, a classification of texts that, texts that are for the purpose of orienting the mind in a particular direction, usually having to do with compassion. Mm-hmm. And this particular text is called uh, Seven Points of Mind Training, and it's one of the Lojong, or mind training, texts. And, and it's very, very famous in Tibetan Buddhism and, and always taught. And... Uh, has been commented on by many, many uh, contemporary and past masters. And, and it's a, a short, in a way, the, the root text is fairly short. It's 59 sayings or slogans for practice, uh, generating compassion almost in a graduated way from point one to point 59. And the 59 slogans are organized under seven points, which is why the text is called Seven Points of Mind Training. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's what it is, and, and uh, I uh, take, th- through the book, I take the seven points and the 59 slogans, and I simply discuss each one in turn and uh, comment on each one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm very interested in the book, and, and I've enjoyed um, going through it. You know, one of the questions that I've been living with for some years, actually, you know, in my own practice is, you know, how... I, really, literally, how you know do we develop compassion? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, you know, it, it seems to me to be a really big question. And you know, can we? You know, can we uh, develop it? And you know, just watching myself, my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own behavior, and you know, yearning to be a more compassionate person. And, you know, at times discovering, I think, I see myself like, I'm not compassionate at all. <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. and it's right. embarrassing, you know, after all these yeah, years yeah. of right, practice. Right. And so, right. um, but, you know, that, that kind of observation, of course, helps you to make a beginning. So it, it's valuable. Right. But, um, so I'm interested in, in, in the very, fact that this text says that we can actually train in compassion. So mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that, you know, how that, how we can actually cultivate it and um, how that works. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the slogans are organized uh, in a very, at first maybe not obvious, but the more you contemplate them in a very clever and graduated way so that you work your way into uh, compassion, and, it, and it, it will deal with issues that you might not see are related, but that after a while you get the picture that it, it does get you there. And the basic method is really um, repeated meditation. So, you know, uh, you're tr- that's why they call it training the mind, although in, in Asian languages, as you know, mind and heart is the same word. So mm-hmm. when you say training the mind, it, it sounds like it's a mental thing, but it's not a mental thing. It's a, it's a mental and emotional. So mm-hmm. you're training, you're, you're, you're basically inculcating the mind with particular thoughts, but repeating those thoughts over and over again in meditation 
you uh, call up the heart, and you're little by little by little training the heart in, in a similar way that, you know, in the gym. You go to the gym and you think, how am I ever going to get muscles? I'm so flabby. <laughs> and you don't get muscles the first week or the first year even. But by repetition, little by little by little by little, almost uh, imperceptibly, after a while, you look back and you say, wow, I really did. I really have a lot more muscles now than I, than I had then. Am I the strongest person in the world? No, but, but I have a lot mm-hmm. more muscles. So it's very much like that. So there are some uh, important meditation practices that are in this text, and, and the one that's um, the most famous is uh, called Sending and Receiving Meditation. Mm-hmm. And this is a really powerful meditation where you take in, actually, into your body, imaginatively, the suffering of others. Uh, you start with your own suffering, but then you go right away to the suffering of friends and relatives who might be in trouble or sick. And then you go to uh, neutral people. You go to people who you might be having trouble with. You go to the whole world of suffering. You breathe it in, in the face that... Uh, the true human body beyond the physical body is capable of taking the suffering and transforming it into healing, and you breathe out the healing and send out the healing to everyone. Mm-hmm. So imaginatively, Im- imagine you know doing a practice like that every day, day after day after day, little by little by little by little, training and expanding the heart, training yourself to be really willing, uh, although it can be difficult, to take in the suffering of others in confidence that you can do that and that you can transform that suffering. It won't get stuck in you and, you know, and, and mm-hmm. hurt you. Yeah, you keep practicing like that day by day by day by day, and then you extend that practice into your daily life when you see a person on the street even. You, know, you can mm-hmm. do that practice spontaneously. And so the idea is that uh, this kind of gradual cultivation over a period of time with a lot of honesty, in other words, the noticing that, yes, here I'm not compassionate, here I'm not compassionate, here I'm not compassionate. And that's not a problem. That's part of the process, my recognizing the places where I'm not compassionate and my fear and my boredom or my reluctance or whatever it is, and just looking at that and being honest about that and then keep cultivating the practice. And little by little, it does, it does actually work. Yeah, this is a great description of how in such a really practical way we can begin to transform our condition responses, really. Um, And when we come back from the break, we'll talk more about how we can um, practice and how we can make these changes. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Norman Fisher. His website is everydayzen.org. We'll be right back with you. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. When you pray, do you wonder if anyone is listening What should and can you ask of God? Why aren't your prayers being answered? Prayer is a challenge for many of us. Now there's a new book that can help deepen your understanding. Based on his 35 years in ministry, 
author Jim Rose Murgy has developed a prayer and meditation practice called The Gathering. In just 40 days, The Gathering will become your foundation for a genuine, ever-deepening experience of God's imminent presence and unlimited power. You'll understand that God can't fulfill your needs, but your needs can be met. You'll see that prayer isn't something you do. It's something you experience. Explore Jim Rose Murgy's new book, The Gathering, a 40-day guide to the power of group and personal prayer. Available now at www.unitybooks.org. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Norman Fisher, um, author of a new book, Training in Compassion Zen Teachings on the Practice of Lojong. And so, in this segment, we're going to talk about about the training it, itself and before in this in this practice before what we would think of as the actual training in compassion begins um, there are points uh, in the slogans that are leading up to it I mean they're part of the practice itself but they're sort of arranging conditions um, to to be successful, and um, this is the point. You know, resolve to begin and mm-hmm. to train in the preliminaries. So, um, it, you know, we have this in the yoga tradition as well. In the beginning of the Yoga Sutra is is the verse. You know, now <laughs> now instruction in yoga begins. You know, according to an established tradition. So. You know, in the Yoga Sutra, for example, there's only, you know, a few of these aphorisms and you think, well, why would they waste one, you know, that, that says, you know, okay, now we're going to begin. Um, and of course the answer is it's not wasted, you know, that that's a critical piece, this, the way in which the beginning is made. So, um, tell us about this training in preliminaries here. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when you think about it, if you're really serious about uh, undertaking a training program in compassion, um, you really need to plumb the depths first of your motivation. How much do you really want to do this? How much are you willing to commit yourself to it? How much are you willing to put into it? 
And why? Why would you want to do that? Did, are you, is your motivation uh, clear? Where, where is it coming from? Is it coming from a superficial place, a deep place? And so that's the point of this first uh, section, resolve to begin and train in the preliminaries. And uh, there are four guided meditations. And, and again, I'm going to read these for you very quickly, but imagine uh, spending you know, months and months on a daily contemplation, a serious contemplation of these points and how that would affect uh, how you feel about your life and how you feel about this commitment to practice compassion. So the first one is the rarity and preciousness of human life, you know, the reflection that it's a gift to be born a human being. It's, there aren't that many human beings, really, and it's a precious thing. You didn't ask for it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happened. And are you using your human life uh, to best advantage, to reflect on that for a while? Uh, the second point is the absolute inevitability of death. Um, do you, have you really thought about how you're going to die? And you don't know when that's going to happen. And it happens always, you know, a lot sooner than you think. Life goes by quite quickly. Have you taken yourself in hand and decided really to be serious about your life? Now, the third point that you meditate on is the awesome and indelible power of your actions. Uh, most people think that what they think, what they say, what they do doesn't matter that much. You know, they just sort of thoughtlessly live their lives. All of us do. And this reminds us that every single word and deed and thought even that we think has consequences and is uh, powerful in the world. So are we taking that seriously enough? Are we using our power in the right way? And the last point is the inescapability of suffering, just the reflection that, that even the best and most fortunate of human lives has plenty of suffering in it as we lose loved ones, as we ourselves grow old and sick and die. And since suffering is inevitable, we need to prepare for it, and, and, and we ask ourselves, have we done enough to prepare for the inevitable suffering that comes into a human life? So with these four reflections, as I say, dropped like stones into the uh, lake of your mind, letting the ripples fan out, meditating on them over and over again as time goes by, you really come to a place of deepening your sense of uh, what your life is and what it's for. And then you maybe come to the point of saying, yes, well, when I really think about you know, my life and what it really means and, and my death and, and the suffering that will come, I know that I really do have to develop compassion. It really is the most important thing. And I really do have to devote, it's, it's the highest priority for me, and I really do have to devote whatever energies I have to it. So that's the point of this first step, meditating on the preliminaries. It, mm -hmm. uh, it really raises up our motivation. Uh, and, and when you think about it, you know, how many things do we take up with uh, a motivation that's good, but we haven't really plumb the depths of our motivation. So we take it up for a while, and then something comes along to distract us, and then we forget about it. And we do that so many times that we actually, most of us, build up a deep inner thought that, well, you know what, I'm never going to really be able to do anything like this seriously. I, I, I take it up. Every year I take up something, and every year I, I don't really get very far. And then after a certain number of years like that, I think you really don't believe in yourself. So it's a really good idea if you're going to take up compassion practice that is a serious business to to really go through all this and examine it all very deeply and look at your motivation before you begin. 
So that's mm-hmm. the intention of this first point, and it's really important. It really is, and it's, you know, it seems, uh, of course, it's like um, tilling the soil, you know, so that the the crop... There's no use planting on bad soil, right? Yeah, and so really looking deeply into our um, motivation and looking, um, I think, fearlessly at ourselves and at this experience of... um, living as a human being. You know, I I had a friend who uh took a took one look one look <laughs> one look into Buddhism and she said, Ah, you know, it's it's way it's way too negative. You know, I can't go there. Yeah, yeah. Right, um right, and right. I'm sure you've heard that before, you know, that yeah, um yeah. that it's you know, why would why would I want to say, you know, the that uh, death is inevitable, suffering is inevitable. Yes, yes, um, right, and, right. you know, and I, I think about um, the teaching that, you know, in, in Buddhism, that, that those are actually encouraging words. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, right. Well, although, and, although I think your friend does have a point that, uh, <laughs> you know, Buddhism starts with suffering and works toward liberation. And uh, many religions are probably, uh, yoga path is like this too, starts from the opposite end. It starts from the inspirational fact of, you know, our being loved and supported in the divine. And from there, it works its way down to the suffering, you know. So it's mm-hmm. both, mm-hmm. I think, include both sides, but it's a matter of, you know, where do you start and where do you lead from? Yeah. And I think it is, a, it is a matter of temperament. You know, there are people who say, well, Buddhism is not for me. I, I want to I start with a theistic tradition where I start with God and, and, I, and I'm embraced by God, and then I'm willing to go to the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think both include both, but it's it's different different tastes. It's true. And it's true. Yeah, yeah, like where is the start? Where is the starting point? And that, yeah. that's a good a good yeah. way to um, explain it. it. But I think you know when we look at this practice of um, compassion, you know, there's a perfect match really in in looking at looking really intently at life, you know, and how quickly things change, they rise, they pass away, you know, all of that, including, you know, our own incarnation. And um, when we, the the very fact of doing that and the courage it takes to be willing to look at that is the same kind of courage it takes to develop compassion. You know, because exactly the, so. you know, That's right. we're, we're, That's right. yeah, we're talking about training the mind so that we don't have that instinctual um, reaction of turning away from suffering. That's right, and that's what compassion is, and, and that's why a lot of people think of compassion as a as a warm, fuzzy feeling, uh, and it is very positive and beautiful to feel compassion, but at the same time. As you say, compassion really has to do with being willing to take in suffering, to actually face suffering, uh, and not to cover it up and make it sound good, but really see it as suffering is suffering, and that's compassion, to feel the suffering. So in the end, uh, there's no avoiding, no matter what your spiritual tradition, real compassion always involves some uh, willingness to, to, to face the negative. And if you really cannot... Uh, ever face the negative you cannot really ever be compassionate i think well and you can't ever really be awake um <laughs> because that's right you can't ever really be a human being in the end uh, because if you can't uh, face the suffering of others it means you can't face your own and there is always some just in being mortal you know there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of suffering involved in that 
And so, uh, you know, in, in a theistic tradition, with the support of the divine, you can face that, but you have to face it. And, yeah, because also in a very practical way, there's a lot of suffering that goes on uh, as an undercurrent, um, you know, when we try not to look. You know, I had, uh, you know, because it's there, you know, I had an interesting conversation with with a man yesterday who was telling me that some friends asked him, they were going away and they asked him if he would go and visit their 94 year old mother who was in a a home, uh, you know, for, for elders. And uh, he didn't really want to do it. You know, it was terrifying. He right. didn't want to go. He didn't want to go in that place. You know, and uh, and so we were talking about his experience. You know, he went because his friends asked him to go, and um, he he told me he was terrified to go. And you know, she was right. she was fine. Um, he said, but what was scary to him was the idea that he could end up there. Right. that's right and I think that most people when they walk into those homes you know where everybody's in a wheelchair or demented or so on I'm familiar with these homes because my mother-in-law lives in one and I go all the time Mm -hmm. and most people uh, feel uh, a really creepy you know negative they they walk out of there and they say oh I'm so depressed it's really it's really a downer what a negative thing to walk into a place like that so compassion would be you know the willingness to to go into such a place to really take in the actual conditions and the actual suffering of people who are there, and at the same time to feel peaceful and happy and grateful that you could you'd be able to do that. That would be yeah. the goal of our compassion training to be able to do that. To be able to do it, and also the the training offers um, a, a look at what makes it possible you know that you there's a that's section right. on absolute compassion and relative compassion that's right. very important and, <laughs> very important so very you know if we if we're thinking that it's just about us being able to manage <laughs> um, our own suffering and that of other people just to be able to continually show up for it without a framework that there's something else that makes that's it possible, right. um, it, then it, it does become uh, over, overwhelming whether you can look at it positively for a while or not. You know, you'll simply get burned out. So tell us that's about right. this absolute compassion, relative compassion, and how that forms the basis of this work. That's right. That's a really, really important point. Um, Absolute compassion is, and and there are practice slogans in the text that are guided meditations to be repeated many, many times so as to be able to really feel this absolute compassion. But absolute compassion is a view of, of reality, a view of life as love itself. That uh, anything being born, anything arising in this world and going through the stages of development and passing away, that that whole process of birth and death, you know, the flowers popping up in the spring and, and dying back and the winter coming and, and then the winter giving way to spring all over again, that this whole process of living and dying is love itself. That, that love includes all the suffering and includes all the loss, and it's nothing other than love. And being able to see it that way uh, and feel it that way 
and see that in that sense, there is no suffering. There's only life springing back over and over again and making way for new life. And that, that the existence of life at all is already uh, God or the divine or the absolute perfection of everything. And so developing that view and, and seeing it not as a, as a bright idea that you wish you believed or as, even as an article of belief, but as an actual experience so that when you look out at the trees, you see that. When you look at it in the face of another person, you see that. You really feel that in your heart because you've trained in that view so much. Well, you need that kind of a view to be able to go to the place where there really is suffering, where, where there's an old person, let's say the 94-year-old mother, who maybe you know, has a degree of resignation and despair over the conditions of her life, to be able to go and sit with her and hold her hand and, and feel what she feels and take that in and not be uh, depressed by that or dragged down by that requires that you have the other side, that you see the 94-year-old woman and what she's going through as part of love, as part of, if you want to say, God's plan for how reality must unfold. I mean, after all, we do have to, uh, to develop as a human being. means we have to grow older and we have to grow more mature and we have to eventually you know, face death, which is not easy, and that's part of what we need to make way for the new life. That 94-year-old woman probably has children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and, and she needed to live her life so that they can live theirs, and that's what we do for each other, and that's, that's beautiful. It's all part of that absolute revolution mm-hmm. ongoing of life mm-hmm. itself. So it's, it's kind of like that. So it's, as you say, just a moment ago, it's a, it's a much bigger framework, and we need that big framework in order to hold the actual suffering uh, that we encounter in our lives. Well, we absolutely do. And I, I love what you said about um, love includes loss. I mean, you know, when we, really yeah. look, when we really look into it, you know, when we really think about it, if, you know, <laughs> if, this, if this realm were some kind of perpetual spring, you know, where we just, uh, yeah. just stayed in our youth and all the trees, you know, were fl- in flowery blossom all the time, um, we wouldn't have any perspective we we wouldn't have any way um to really experience what love really is uh, you yeah. know and, and we and wouldn't appreciate the spring <laughs> exactly it, <laughs> yeah. it totally totally makes sense right. to me um right. that that love has to include loss and yet to be able to hold this bigger framework um that there is this ever-present um support that all of this is occurring in something that is much bigger and when we come back from the break um, we'll we'll talk about this as spiritual practice kind of how it touches all areas of our lives i'm ellen grace o'brien and you're listening to the yoga hour with norman fisher and we'll be right back with you Reverend Paulette Pipe's voice has been called mesmerizing, the sound of spirit expressing in soothing honey tones. If you're one of the loyal listeners who tune in each week for her program, Touching the Stillness, you already know the power of her meditations. 
If her programs leave you wanting more, purchase one or both of her meditation CDs, Touching the Stillness, her first CD, and the newly released Resting in Stillness. This latest CD combines Paulette's alchemic voice with an original score by pianist Kelly Hunt and will transport you to a place of divine peace. Enliven your meditations with Reverend Paulette Pipe as your guide and take her soothing voice and peaceful presence with you wherever you go. Get your copy today. Go to www.unity.org and then click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop at the top of the page. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Zoketsu Norman Fisher. His website is Everyday Zen. Org. And we've been looking at the practice of Lojong, a Tibetan practice for training in compassion that Norman has uh, written a commentary on uh, in his new book, Training in Compassion, Zen Teachings on the Practice of Lojong. And this um, really gives us some wonderful insights into this Tibetan practice in a you know, through the lens of uh, Zen and Norman's longtime practice. And it is a book that is um, interesting, it's compelling, it's uh, easy to read. And um, although you don't necessarily get the sense that it's easy to practice, <laughs> uh, it is encouraging to practice. You know, I, fi- I found myself um, just feeling like, okay, you know, okay, uh, as I would go through it, you know, okay, yes, I see how that, I see how that could work. And there's a lot of good information in the book, just even that would support spiritual practice in general. And so, you know, even beyond the direct focus of developing compassion, um, just practices that help us train our minds for living more consciously. Um, One of the points says to transform bad circumstances into the path. Um, That seems a very fundamental advice for uh, spiritual practice. And you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, 
you know, I'm sure, Ellen, you also uh, have this experience of someone that you haven't seen in quite a while, and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry, Reverend Ellen, that I haven't been around for a while, but I've been having a hard time, and so I haven't been able to come <laughs> right. to the center and, and do the uh-huh. practice because, you know, life has intervened. Right. And you slap your head and you think, oh, my God, it just should be just the opposite, that when oh, you're yeah. having a hard time, that's when the practice really makes sense, and that's when it really counts, and that's when you should practice more. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you think of spiritual practice as a really nice thing that you should be doing for yourself along with, you know, going to the gym and eating right and so on and so on, but then things get complicated and you, have to, and you, you don't have time for it, then you're really missing the point. Uh, practice... Spiritual practice isn't uh, another nice activity. Spiritual practice is the way and the viewpoint with which you approach all your activities. Mm-hmm. So it's not an extra thing. It is the way you live your life. So uh, this point of view that says that when things get difficult, I don't abandon my practice. That's when I really bear down with it. That's when it really helps me. That's when I really can learn something uh, fresh and go deeper with my practice. So you need to develop a, a uh, instinctual uh, perspective like that, that as soon as something difficult happens, rather than letting it wash over you and you forgetting about your practice, you immediately take up the practice at that point of the difficulty. And so uh, this part of the text includes a series of, uh, of slogans that help you to make that a reality in your life. And, and again, you, you would meditate on these and, and train with them and so on and so on over and over again. And it, it, does, it, it does seem that the book in so many ways, you know, sort of, um, it's so skillful. I mean, this training uh, yes. is so skillful in pinpointing the places where we instinctually want to run <laughs> or, exactly. or or exactly. slack off, you know, exactly. and, and I think all of us have had the experience at one point or another of, of saying, you know, oh, you know, this is happening in my life, you know, so I'll come back to my practice later, right? right. <laughs> when I, when I right. get through this and right. that's kind of, it's kind of instinctual. And so that's to right. be able right. to transform that into um, really it comes down to not dividing up our life, doesn't it? You know, like, right. like this That's is my right. spiritual practice and this is my life. No. Right. No, um, there is no such thing as spiritual practice in the end. You know, there's just life, right? Exactly. Right. So it, it's That's just right. a training to not divide it up and to not think that our, you know, our practice takes place, you know, either on our, our, our cushion or it takes place in our spiritual center, and right. no, it, it, it takes right, place right, yeah. uh, in, in our life, and in that sense, you know, we're always on a practice retreat, and right. um, right. you know, and things like relationship, um, you know, are powerful um, trainings. Yes, every relationship is a spiritual practice relationship. Every single one. That's right. Yeah. And, and, there and what are... you just said, I think, is, is a very, very important point that that we have these instinctual attitudes that drive us away from our practice. And this training does pinpoint exactly those attitudes and makes us stop and say, wait a minute, don't take it for granted, just like we're talking now, that when you're having a hard time, this means you can't do your practice. Don't, t- don't take that for granted. L- examine that attitude and see if you can turn that around. And it, and it does hit, on, and the same with compassion. Don't, don't take it for granted that you can't 
take the suffering of others that you that it'll, it'll destabilize you or get you depressed. Don't take that for granted. Go toward it. Don't run away. Mm-hmm. And it and also so it does also that over and over again. Yeah, and it also offers. I wish up, I would have put that in the book. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> and it also offers up. Don't get stuck on peace, right? Right. You know, that's right. The other that's other right. side of the coin is that you right. know that that illusion that our um, that being spiritual spiritually aware is always um, being in some uh, state of of peace right. or or joy, um, but to understand that it's not a state at all is is really right. is really helpful um right. and then of course there's you know this wonderful and and you bring that i you know with your training in zen you know i think you really bring it out um in the training itself you know that sort of um tension between um cult, things like okay cultivate a serious attitude and then um you know don't lose your sense of humor right 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 <laughs> And so, that's another thing that happens uh, in the training is that uh, um, you, you, the training takes you in one direction, and then anticipating that you'll go too far in that direction, it says, "Okay, now go in the opposite direction." So there's always a question of you know balancing these various uh, aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. And and that that is really woven throughout all the slogans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very it's very refreshing, you know. And it 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 makes me think of that you know famous Zen saying, you know, it's just walk, don't wobble, right? You know, so mm-hmm, that you, mm-hmm. you try to find that um, that sense of of balance. And you know, in some ways, in order to find our balance, we, we have to go too far to the other side. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. right. So that that's part of that's part of the learning. And um, it, and you you have done some wonderful things with language, I think, as a poet, you know, coming to it and, and, and putting the sayings into some really pithy language that, that we can relate to. Um, mm-hmm, I hope it, so. I was trying for that, yeah. Yeah, you really did. Like, you know, suggestions mm-hmm. for living with ease in a crazy world. And mm-hmm. so, you know, let's, let's conclude with that. Um, what, would you, what would you bring out from the text... Um, a suggestion for living with ease in a crazy mm-hmm. world. What what did you mean by that, and and uh, how can that be? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this last point. This this is the seventh point. The last point uh, in my assessment, looking at the original text, it's a grab bag for lots of miscellaneous slogans that uh, really do amount to that. You know, it is a crazy world. It's a difficult world. It's always been a crazy world. But that doesn't mean that we have to be miserable in it just because it's that way. We can actually find a way to live with ease in a crazy world. And so uh, the slogans all are really good watchwords for keeping us on the beam with some happiness, even in the midst of the realistic troubles. And so the last slogan is uh, really good, and it's a a famous one. The last slogan is, don't expect applause. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is a really good one because when you when you think about it, almost everything that you do is to get some credit, even if it's just crediting yourself with being a good spiritual person, you know, uh, or the having other people think of you as a good person, or having other people admire you, or or uh, you know think that they want to be around you, and so on. But what if 
you didn't expect applause? What if you just thought, well, I'm going to live this moment for its own sake. I'm going to live my life for its own sake. I'm going to be where I am right now for its own sake. And I'm not expecting applause from anyone, including, including myself. Mm-hmm. That there's a virtue in just showing up for life, whether I like it or not, whether it's good or not, whether it's as I want it to be or not, I'm just going to be here, embrace my conditions, take it on as my practice, and I'm not expecting anything more than that, and that's enough for me. So that's, you know, if you, had, if you could have that attitude, if you could repeat over and over again, don't expect applause in your heart, on your meditation cushion, see it in your life, and every time you were expecting applause, to apply that slogan, don't mm-hmm. expect applause. <laughs> it helps you to realize how much you have been the hostage of your desire to receive applause from yourself or others. And and then you kind of train yourself out of that desire and you find yourself in a much more unburdened situation because now you're not at the mercy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to just keep loosening that sense of self. And that's a great place for us to conclude with uh, the yoga hour today and not expect applause. So don't expect applause. And and I don't hear any applause so far. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) Thank you, Norman, for being uh, my guest today and to learn more about Norman's work. Remember to visit everydayzen.org. And next week we'll be back with The Way of Divine Love. I look forward to being with you then. Remember, let your inner light shine into the world and share your peace and your joy with all you meet. Thanks again, Norman. Thank you. Bye now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. What is the key to happiness? Would you like to find the fountain of youth? How about all the money and love that you could handle? Well, my friends, it is there for you. You just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life. You need to be real. Be vulnerable. Be naked. What are you waiting for? Let's get naked. This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Allfree is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. 
It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice activated technology, available on any Alexa enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 